Welcome to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Morning Message Podcast. At Watermark, we believe that teaching and preaching is not just about information transfer, it's actually about life transformation. So we continue this tradition that has been handed down to the very first believers over 2,000 years ago. Teaching and preaching matters for the formation of your mind, for your soul, for your body. And we hope that today your ideas are challenged and that your imagination is reignited with the truth of Scripture. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to connect with us, just go to watermarkoc.com slash contact. We're taking a break from our regularly scheduled teaching series in the book of Psalms. We're going to celebrate baptism. I've realized this last week. We, we don't really understand a lot about baptism. And so I, I thought I would just give a kind of general teaching on the subject. The, the waters of baptism have, have so many implications. Old Testament, New Testament. You can go all the way back to Genesis and God creating order out of the waters. That theme continues in the uh, Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea. And we see the corporate dimension of the water. It's never just, let me just tell you right now, uh, to, to kind of spoiler alert. It's never just about one individual. It's about the people of God. The Exodus marks a corporate people who are forever trying to move towards freedom together, though as a whole. There's also this great uh, implication throughout the Bible about the cleansing properties of the water. And surely that's true, Old Testament, New Testament, and today. I don't have a slide for this kind of operating definition, but in in my study up to this morning, I was listening to a great scholar on this. His name's N.T. Wright. You You can look him up. Really good things. And he said such a simple phrase. He talked about baptism being about entry into the forgiveness community. You know, one of the earliest questions about baptism is, does baptism make me forgiven? And, and it's really easy to settle that on one hand. Um, not, not, not all the way. No, you can be forgiven by saying yes to Jesus, by saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. I've tried to save myself. And I accept the blood of Jesus to cover me. And I declare you as Lord. Anyone can pray that prayer alone, together, on your knees, standing. I've heard stories of people listening to a message during pandemic by themselves in the room and saying yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming on them and them saying yes to Jesus all by themselves in the room. And I'm just floored at the surprising ways that God continues to work. But the beautiful thing about baptism in particular is that it's a forgiveness community moment. I just pictured this sign above the door, you know, when you come in. What if we all kind of signed on for that? And when we come in here, and even when we disperse and we're still the people of God, we are a forgiveness community. We look different, we act different than the world, and it's the ways we abound in grace. Baptism is a forgiveness community. And last week I got to meet one of our candidates for baptism, a strong young man, the age of seven, the ripe old age of seven years old. His name's Declan Gossett. You guys are going to meet him in a minute. He told his parents he wanted to get baptized, and his dad rightly wondered, well, you know, does he really understand what it's all about? So he scheduled a meeting. I sat down with Deck, and he really impressed me, you know? I asked him a couple questions. He gave some really profound answers. I asked him, who is Jesus, Declan? To which he responded, a man who prayed. And I just thought, man, what an original answer. I don't know if I would have said that as my very first response, but I love so much that he answered this way. 
it, it kind of implies that, that, yes, Jesus did pray, but at a foundational level, if prayer is communication between a, a, a son and a father, you could argue that Jesus lived in a state of constant prayer. And in fact, we go on to read this. Look at what the book of Hebrews says, chapter 7. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently since he lives forever. So he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he, here's the punchline, he always lives to intercede for them. You have a new way to answer when someone asks you, who is Jesus? I mean, Declan got it. This may be his identity or his office post-ascension. Now Jesus lives at the right hand of the Father. But he's, what is he doing? 24-7, 365, what's his job? What's his identity? What's his role? He's a man who prays. Is that amazing? Declan knew that by, by the Holy Spirit stirring in his heart. What else did I hear him say when he answered that way? I heard relationship. A man who prays. I heard relationship between the Father and the Son. And herein lies our first answer There's many definitions, and I could unpack maybe a seven-point list, but I'm just going to keep it to three for our purposes this morning because we're about to celebrate here in a few minutes. Baptism confirms an everlasting covenant, a relational covenant between us, all of us, by the way, and our Heavenly Father. Shortly after Declan responded this way together, we opened Matthew chapter 3, and we looked at the picture of Jesus being baptized. And and Declan, by the way, as a seven-year-old, read it out loud, which in and of itself was worth the whole meeting. Just to hear him read the word of God was so cool. And of course, this is what he read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? So Jesus replied to him, let it happen now, for it's right for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John yielded to him. After Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dear son, in him I take great delight. We get hung up on the fact, like our first question on this text is, why did Jesus have to be baptized as the one sinless man? I think we, we, we must get to the point of why, and and Jesus says, it's because I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. I think we better not miss the punchline, which is, I think, that last one. This is my dear son. In him, I take great delight. Can we see the confirming revelation that that not only Jesus is is the chosen Jewish Messiah in this picture? Yes, he's the chosen Jewish Messiah. I mean, to to say you're the real son of God, when there are so many other Greco-Roman versions or examples of a son of God, here's the real one, the chosen Messiah. Yes, that's, that's part of the answer. But also, can he also just be an obedient child in this moment? Can the son just be an obedient submission to the father? And this is our starting place for baptism, you guys. It's not just a religious rite. It represents entry into the new family of God. I, I asked Declan, should we do what Jesus did? And he, of course, said, yes. And he said, that's right, we should. So we baptized because Jesus was baptized and we do what he did. But also, and I think, it's so hard to grab this today, guys. Covenant, just even as a modern term, is kind of lost on us. Uh, when I do marriage ceremonies, I'll often say, hey, it's a deal. You make lots of deals every day. With the phone company, the insurance company, maybe you took a loan from a family member, you made a deal a promise, a relational 
two-way covenant agreement. And though we do it every day, it's completely lost on us how different the covenant promise is with God. Because guess what? And we learned this from Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15. You can go back and look at it. Like the setup for all covenants. God says, I'm going to keep my end even when you don't. It's stunning. And if you wonder, how could that be? It's because of the blood of Jesus. He keeps his covenant promise. And I think this really addresses the question in the new kind of corporate family of God. We are his children. He is our father. It moves it way away. When these guys get up here and they're going to get baptized, we have such a mistake in our kind of postmodern Western worldview that, man, it's just about their private individual decision. People will come to me and say, hey, Ben, can, I just, can we just set up an appointment to go to the beach and just me, my family, and you, can we do it? And I've done it, sure. Like, because if the Holy Spirit's moving, I, man, I want to get on that wagon. But, but we miss not just a practical element, but a key theological element. That when you do this in public view of the, the body of Christ, you're proclaiming this relational covenant. And you are getting entered into the new family of God. All of these people. They're going to get your back, and you're going to get their back. We use the same language in a marriage. That's the relational kind of covenant. So that's the first point. Um, even when we don't make good on our side, God makes good on his side of the deal. And we wonder, that's another popular question, well, what happens if someone loses faith or backslides or decides that they, they're not a Christian anymore? And it's like, you know, one of my Catholic friends who's a, a devout member here but also has a devout parish that she's a part of says, all I'm going to say, Ben, is this. That envelope, that covenant seal is really hard to break. I'm not getting down into any other debates or roads, but I just want to say, we, 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 we surely pay a lot of attention to the individual and how their faith ebbs and flows, but what about God's lasting promise over us? It's a, it's a powerful, important reminder about what he says on his side of the deal. That's the first thing. Baptism is a relational covenant. The second thing that points to a question many of you may have um, do I need a second baptism? Was I filled with the Holy Spirit? If I prayed a prayer and then I was baptized, is, is, do I need both? Is one better than the other? Let's, let's look here. Stay in Matthew chapter 3. I want to say baptism anywhere by the Spirit is baptism everywhere by the Spirit. Look at this from Matthew 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist now. But the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse. But the shaft he will burn with inextinguishable fire. I know, it sounds pretty intense. It is pretty intense. And I won't negate the judgment language that's being deployed here. But I also think we, we have a connecting idea here when he says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, that there's a, a huge positive implication of what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. There's sharp differences. I just want to call that out. In good Christian people across denominations, actually, there's no consensus on the answer to this. Is there one baptism? Is there two? How do we get the Holy Spirit? You may know this. The denominations, we're going to have this intramural debate, for, for like inside team debate for as long as we probably live. But I want to call it a few things. Maybe you're wondering, was I baptized properly the last time? Was I just washed with the water and not filled with the Holy Spirit? Should I get baptized again so I can make sure I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? I, wanted, I have a, like a list of questions, but I want to jump in and answer that one right away. 
And, and I want to handle it by looking at the book of Acts. There are two people in the book of Acts, Theotira and Crispus. In Acts 16, 15, and Acts 18, 8, when both places, this is crazy. I wasn't raised in this tradition, but I think we need to listen to it and wrestle with this. this is, I'm going to tell you right now, this is open wrestling on my ideas around baptism. It says in both places that these individuals and their households were baptized. I don't have the verse, but you can go and do this study. I encourage you to do this study for yourselves. It says the whole household was baptized. And this is why I say, man, were you baptized as a child or a baby? Uh, you know, maybe God's promise still covers you, even as a young child. Maybe even as a baby, you had water sprinkled on you. Beware of underrating devaluing the promise of God covering even a young child in the family's decision. Remember dedication up here? That was our version of kind of baby baptism. But what, what is it still saying that's, that, 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 that links these two ideas? The parents are saying, I am covering you with this household decision. I want to say two things really quick on this. The early church practiced this. I think we see that in Acts. The whole, even babies who didn't have a dis- decisive free will came and the whole household was covered in the waters. And number two, I think we have to beware. Living in a postmodern kind of Western place that we are with a high, high emphasis on the individual, the individual, the individual. I think we've picked up some traditions, guys, along the way where we say, man, you know what? This seven-year-old may not be able to speak for themselves. You know, if they can't make an articulate profession of faith, maybe they're not ready. And I just want to say, I don't know. I don't know about that. We, we may be overemphasizing the individual at the expense of the body, of the corporate application, of how God gets involved with this, and he covers even young babes. So back to the list of questions. Do I need a separate or additional rite or special prayer to receive the Holy Spirit? Is the baptism, here's a good one I want to answer next, is the baptism by fire taken to mean, and this is the debate between Christians, does it, is it taken to mean the fires of eternal judgment or is it the cleansing and purifying nature of fire? And again, in my open wrestling, I'm going to answer that way. I'm going to go with the second option. I'm going to suggest that it's about the cleansing, purifying nature of God's daily presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Really good Christians, scholars agree to disagree, like I said. But I'm going to take up my position with a harmony of passages. And I'm going to show you these, Isaiah 4 and Romans 6. Isaiah 4, in the context of Isaiah 4, he's talking about a future day where God's chosen people will have, actually the word says excrement, not in this verse, but in the verses ahead of it, it says they'll be cleansed, washed. The excrement will be washed away from them. Do you, are, are you hearing more judgment of, of hell and brimstone, or are you hearing more cleansing, purifying in that? I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm reading the latter. It says this in Isaiah 4, 5. The Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over its convocations a cloud, and smoke by day and a bright flame of fire by night. Indeed, a canopy will accompany the Lord's glorious presence. And you can get imagery if you've read the Old Testament at all. What, what, what was the column of fire for? But a, a positive aid, a guide, a help to the Jewish people as they were traveling through the wilderness. They would walk daily. And, he's, and now that was looking back, but looking forward, Isaiah is looking to a day where the, we'd have the presence and protection of God daily. What does that sound like? Except for the Holy Spirit, which is the gift to all believers. I think another great answer for this question, is it one-time judgment at the end of, end of the world, or is it a purifying, cleansing value for me here and now? And that's Romans 6. 
It says, do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. I want to contend that baptism being this so-called positive act, which is endorsed by John, Jesus, Paul, and the early apostles, that the fire stands for this, this, the, the Lord's power and presence to purge and cleanse us. Um, once again, are you getting the weightiness of this? This act, this moment that we're going to create in a second? It's not just a rite of passage. It's, it's not even just merely I'm cleansed. But now we're talking about the purging, the purging and purifying daily power of the Holy Spirit to catch us when we slip back into old thinking. To catch us sometimes when we're still hooked on our old addictions and our old affections through the flesh and through the enemy. Like, we, the, the Spirit of God comes to cover and reside in us. This is a wonderful thing that we're going to get to celebrate in a moment. And this is a great segue because Romans 6 is my final point. As much as the Spirit filling us, whether we pray in the privacy of our room or whether we come and we're baptized in the company of the hosts, the Holy Spirit is there present in baptism and in decision. And it's also a covenant relational agreement. The final point of baptism is that it is a kind of death. And you may say, Ben, wait a minute. I thought this was a positive act. By the way, my, my words, not some other brighter scholar. And, I, and, I, and it couldn't be more true that it is a positive act. But for those who are still, look at this. For those who are still delighting in their sin, you know, kind of treating it like a warm blanket. Have you ever done that before? I know I have. Old habits die hard, right? So when I have old habits of aggression or impatience or I want to curse or swear uh, at whomever, a random person on the, the street in a motor vehicle, whatever it is, I, I slip into these old patterns and I'm like, you know, I'm not ready to give that one up yet. For those of us who are still minimizing the weight of our sin, still shifting blame, someone else is accountable for that thought pattern or that word or that deed. Pretending God doesn't really care or isn't really a holy, consuming fire. Anytime we want to downgrade him to just Jesus as my homeboy, you know, that just Jesus as a hat or a t-shirt. And he is a dear friend. He is a dear friend. But if he ceases being holy, we have an issue. All of us slip into these different patterns. And for those who are resolutely in that camp, death to sin would be unthinkable and unbearable. And I think that's what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when you read, man, there's Romans 6 again for purposes, we just read it. But this is what I think in 1 Corinthians it means. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are still perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And, and this is really the final point. I put it here above Romans 6. Baptism is a death to life full cycle oneness in Christ. So it is a sort of death. But it is also walking in new life, which is a tough, purifying, cleansing experience, isn't it? Daily, daily we walk through these kind of uh, mechanics, this, this so-called cycle. I was on my way into the meeting with Declan, and I asked one of our leaders who happened to be sitting in the coffee shop, I said, guys, I'm about to have this meeting. What's the first thing you'd tell Declan baptism is? And Kevin, who is this leader, just said, man, um, when I think about baptism, I think it's the fact that everyone has something to die to 
and everyone has something to live for. I just stopped me in my tracks. Like, what did you just say? I mean, I just caught him cold. And just off the cuff, he answered that way. Everyone has something to die to, and everyone has something to live for. And that mysterious, wonderful, heavenly, cosmic thing is celebrated in the waters of baptism. This daily full cycle experience of dying to sin and the old patterns that no longer serve us and learning to be satisfied in Jesus alone. I love the quote, maybe you've heard it before, this famous one from John Piper. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Thanks for listening to the Sunday morning message at Watermark OC Church. If you have questions, go to watermarkoc.com questions, or you can go to our homepage, watermarkoc.com, and reach out for coffee with a pastor. We cannot wait to meet you.